This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, Financial Planning for Trainees, hosted by the ATS Training Committee as part of our Career Development Core Training Series. I'm Asha Anandaya, a Training Committee member and Program Director of the Mass General Beth Israel Deaconess Harvard Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellowship Program in Boston, and I'll be hosting today's podcast along with my colleague, Vaishnavi Kundal. Thanks, Asha, and welcome, everybody. My name is Vaishnavi Kundal, and I also serve on the ETS Training Committee with Asha, and I'm the Program Director for the Sleep Medicine Fellowship at Mount Sinai in New York. I'm really excited to be here today to discuss this incredibly important um, but often overlooked topic. I completely agree with that sentiment, Vaishnavi, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest expert speaker for today's session, Dr. Alice Gallo de Marias. Alice is a pulmonary and critical care physician, associate professor of medicine, and associate program director of the internal medicine residency at the Mayo Clinic. She is also a member of the MIT Members in Transition and Training Committee at ATS and Education Chair for the Critical Care Early Career Working Group at ATS. She has a special interest in this topic of financial planning for trainees, and Alice, we're delighted to have you joining us today in this forum to share your wisdom with ATS trainees and junior faculty. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I'm not sure I'm a quote unquote expert, but I do love, I do love to talk about this topic because I really think it's important. And, and again, I would love also to hear what you, what you think it's important because clearly uh, you have an interest because you have me today. But, but a few of the things that, that I've noticed is um, just reading uh, through, through some of the data uh, average medical school debt in the United States is about $230,000 average, right? So we can, there are people who are going to have less, and, but there are people that are going to have more than that coming out of medical school. And um, I believe that we end up becoming debt numb, right? Like it's a future me problem. I'll deal with this when I finish my like third fellowship. Um, and and I feel like we we kind of postpone. And then when it's time to start thinking about this debt, and when it start uh, when it's time that we have finally uh, means to build up wealth then we have the doctor's lounge effect or the keeping up with the Joneses effect. And um, we start spending more than what we are saving. And then we end up like not building wealth and um, preparing for today's podcast. I was reading um, some, some more recent data and only, only 60% of physicians have more than a million dollars saved for retirement at the age of 65. Um, so that's kind of scary considering that we are in the top top one to 2% earners in this country. So again, it's about wealth, right? It's not about, it's about building wealth. It's not about um, not having fun, but um, it's kind of worrisome. So that's why, that that's one of the reasons why I love talking about this. And I do believe in, in, I personally, and that's very personal opinion, I see retirement as not having to work. I love critical care. I sometimes imagine myself being wheeled out of the ICU by my fellows telling me you're too old to be here. (laughs) 
but not having to be there, you know. So I so that's retirement for me at least. Um, and I would love to to try to teach people to have a little bit more of this mentality, like work because it's fun, work because it's it's good to help other people, no longer because you need to work at a certain point in your life. Great. Well, I think that's really helpful context and the statistic you cited in particular, um, I think is a really concrete um, kind of reason for us to be talking about this now, because um, as we'll talk about more later, um, you know, you have to start early in thinking about this. Um, so let's dive right in. But I wanted to actually start by just asking you, um, how did you get interested in this topic? And in particular, how did you become knowledgeable and take it on as something that you wanted to become an educator about um, within your professional role? Yeah, um, I cannot talk about this without getting a little personal, so I hope it's okay. <laughs> so there were three big moments in my life. One, I was around 12 or 13 years old, and my father, who's a lawyer, uh, he sat me down with um, with $100, and he said, pretend that this is your monthly salary. Before you do anything, you hide $20 from yourself. You hide it. Put it somewhere that the money is going to work for you. And then you pay your bills, and then whatever is left, that's what you budget your life for. And I was 12 years old or 13, 13 I don't remember right now. And I was like, huh, okay, I'm pretty sure this is going to make sense to me at some point in my life. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then, I don't know if people know this, but I did residency in Brazil. And uh, I remember my first paycheck, I totally did what my dad told me to do. Uh, and, it was, and it was very um, interesting how easy it actually is to save if you pretend you make 20% less of what you make. Uh, so that was one. And then um, when I when I moved to the U.S. to do residency again, um, I was married. I was first married to my husband, and and we we're like, oh, we need a budget. And I was like, oh yeah, we need a budget. And then again, we said, but we should budget on eighty percent of what we make, not on a hundred percent of what we make, because again, to make it easy um, to save. And that's, and that's the point, like it's easy to save. And 20% was what I decided back then, but even, even $50 per paycheck grows with interest and compound interest is very powerful. So I think those were the little things that my dad taught me. And then fast forward, uh, to, uh, last year of residency, and I realized that I had not started my Roth IRA. And I was like, oh, this was a big mistake. And then I was like, okay, I need to study this. Because uh, I'm like, I'm, like I'm, not, I'm not allowing my money to work for me early enough. <clears throat> and, uh, and then in my first year on staff, actually, I was working uh, at night with a fellow, now a colleague, who also very interested about this. And we were like three in the morning having breakfast in the cafeteria. We're like, we should start, we should start a little course for our fellows and our residents here. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So then Dr. Sexton, he's an anesthesiologist, critical care here at Mayo with me. Um, we have a whole um, course on it that we update every year. Like this year, we started doing a problem-based learning so people can like, play with their numbers and things like that. 
Uh, we also did uh, one of we turned one of our lectures to um, trivia style to see kind of like see what people already know about finances and and they like it. So so those were like my big three points in my life um, to get to get financially literate and interested on this. So for many trainees, uh, one of the first challenges may just be kind of recognizing that this is something they should start thinking about early on, you know, maybe like, you know, later in med school, uh, you know, when you start residency. And I think many of the trainees may feel that with uh, relatively limited income and choices, this is something that maybe they should defer until later on, like myself, when they become faculty. Um, And how would you respond to that? And what options do we have as trainees with the limited income to, as you said, make our money work for us or like, you know, whatever we can save? Yes. Right? Um, again, first of all, I want to say that everything I'm going to talk about is rule of thumb, right? Um, if someone has special circumstances, please, please, please make sure that the same way that you would not um, ask one of your pulmonary critical care consultants to perform an appendectomy on you, make sure that you talk to a um, licensed um, financial planner or lawyer um, if you have a special situation. So that's number one. But number two, I would say uh, there are a few things that that I feel very strongly about that are easy to do in training and super helpful. So one, make sure that you have disability insurance. If you don't have disability insurance now, uh, you should have gotten yesterday. Um, And the best time to get it is the moment you finish listening to this podcast. (laughs) I'm not joking. Um, And we'll talk more about this later, I'm pretty sure. But disability insurance. um, And uh, if you have anyone depending on you, or if you have children, or if you have uh, parents that you are one of the caregivers for, you need to have life insurance as well. Uh, the other thing is create the habit of saving. And I'm going to say this again. Saving is whatever you can save to create the habit of saving that it will still allow you to have a very joyful life outside of work because that's very important. I will never come here and say, don't buy your latte every day, go buy your latte, just budget for it. It's totally fine. And, um, and this is a, this is a joke that happens on social media, because there are some people that say, oh, you should not buy a latte. In the, in the end, a latte will, a day will cost you maybe $2,500 a year. That's probably not what's going to make it or break you. Um, side note, ended, and uh, important thing, again, save whatever you can. Two main ways in training that I believe are very important. One is having a fully funded emergency fund. What does that mean? Three to six months of your fixed expenses in an account that is working for you, but it's also easy to access. So for example, high yield savings, a lot of banks have high yield savings. I make, I want to make sure that, that I say this out loud. I make no money out of the banks I'm going to uh, quote. I just took a look before uh, coming to this recording about like how, in, how much interest they were giving, but like Chase and Ally Bank actually are giving about four to 4.2% of interest in their high yield savings account or their online savings account. They have different names, but that's basically the idea behind it. So again, have your have your uh, emergency fund work a little bit for you as well. 
And why is it important to have three to six months of your fixed uh, expenses? Because your disability insurance has 99% of insurance have a three month grace period before you start making that money. And um, a lot of them also have three months. So that's why the recommendation is three to six months. And in training, when you when um, you should do a direct Roth IRA. Why do I say this? Because Roth IRAs, direct Roth IRAs have um, uh, max uh, annual income that you can have in order to be able to fund one. Um, in 2023, you can put $6,500 if you are uh, single in a Roth IRA. Um, and um, and uh, what I would say is probably as a resident and as a fellow, $6,500 a year is a lot of money. You should not strive for that if you can't, but maybe $50 per paycheck. $50 per paycheck is $1,200 a year with compound interest in 10 years, you're gonna have $200,000 easily. Your money worked for you. Um, after you graduate, you can do backdoor Roth IRA, but I don't think that's that's the purpose of this, um, of this uh, podcast. I just wanna make sure that we talk about it in case people feel um, curious and wanna read more about it. And then the other the other thing also is obviously student loans because financial independence means that you have paid your big loans, meaning student loans, mortgage, and um, anything else that you have, so like a car, or or if you are someone who who likes um, uh, boats and, and like fancy toys, <laughs> um, those things have to be paid off for you to be able to say you're actually financially independent. So uh, tackling your student loans also, it's very important. So I would, again, to summarize, I would say in no particular order, okay? I, I just think that those are the, the main important things in training. Start funding your Roth IRA with, with whatever amount of money that will be okay for you and your family to stay joyful, but also to start saving a little bit. Have your emergency fund funded in a account that will work for you in terms of, of interest, but also is easy to access. Because remember, retirement accounts, some of them have a big fee if you remove any money before the age of 60. Um, it, after you finish listening to this podcast, you go find yourself a disability insurance. <laughs> and if you have someone uh, who depends on you, regardless of their age, regardless of their relationship with you, to you, make sure that you have life insurance and um, and uh, tackle your student loans, plan to pay them. Uh, and we can talk more about it, but it, depending on the job you're planning to go to, either you have PSLF or if you're going for private practice, plan to pay it in two to three years and be done. Great. Thank you so much. I think those are, that alone, I think is an important um, Intro in that I think people don't know where to start and what are the priorities. So just sort of being that concrete is really helpful, I think, for a lot of trainees. Um, I want to take a little bit of a deeper dive into maybe each one of those buckets, okay. but let's start with the last one you mentioned, which is student yeah. loans. Because I think, you know, somewhat ironically, that is that is the thing, if anything is on the minds in terms of sort of being involved in the financial system and thinking about um short and long-term mm -hmm. you know, financial issues, 
um, often trainees are brought into that by um, the fact that they carry student loans. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could just elaborate a little bit more about um, sort of how to approach understanding yeah. people have different specifics in their situation, how to approach student loans in the context of overall financial health and how should our trainees and early faculty be thinking about that? Whenever you decide that you want to stay in academics, came to residency already thinking pulmonary critical care. So you have those six to seven years, like we talked about before. If you decide you want to stay in academics, go for um, PSLF. Very important about PSLF is you need to look to the companies that will take PSLF if you renegotiate your debt. So that's very important. And, um, and also very important to keep track of every single payment you made. They, the, the, the loaner should be tracking that for you, but always do your due diligence because your debt will be forgiven once you prove that you make 120 payments, the agreed payments to your loan. And um, it's not a trick. It does work. People have had their loans forgiven. The, the main thing is that the companies that, that do PSLF, they will not have a good of a record of your 120 payments as you are. So keep that. Every year you need to send... Um, a letter asking for a statement for that year. So again, little details, and this is all over the internet, very easy to find. But again, bottom line is you decided you're going to stay in academics, thought about this early, take advantage and start doing those, those public, forgive, public um, service forgiveness during training. Let's say you're like, you know what? I want to go to private practice. I am not going to qualify for uh, PSLF, so make a plan to pay your student loans in two to five years, no longer than five. Why? Because if, nowadays, even negotiating, average student loan is about 6%. So it's a lot of money that you're giving to them on interest that you could be investing and get maybe 11, 10% in, in uh, brokerage accounts, for example. So make a plan of paying it, paying it early if you're going for private practice. Again, very easy to look up. I, I don't want to, I don't want to say names because I don't want to, I don't want our listeners to think that I'm like advertising anything. But if you go online, there are lists and lists of, of, um, uh, loan companies and lists of lists of, of PSLF criteria and very important. You have to have a plan as soon as you decide where you're going to go. And the most important thing, bottom line, is debt to income ratio. Um, the lowest your debt to income ratio, better that you paid off, by the way. <laughs> so all about that if, you, if you're going to make a lot of money in private practice for example just pay it off 
um, if you're going to go into academics that, that we know we make less money than private practice, then just renegotiate and go for PSLS. It's your right to do that. So Terrific. Thank you so much. Um, again, super concrete for all for people to sort of take home and then um, sort of read more about, like you said. So for academics, the public service loan forgiveness, lots of information available on that. Um, and then just having a plan for an early payoff, two to five years in private practice. I would just add, because it came to my mind for folks in academics doing research, the NIH loan repayment program grant is something that I think um, people sometimes don't hear about who might qualify for. So for folks that are pursuing research, um, just another um, opportunity to have um, loans repaid yeah. more quickly than they would have realized. And again, the, the important thing is, and, and you don't need to know, you don't need to think that plans don't change. That's not what I'm saying. But again, let's say, let's say in your research here in pulmonary, you're like, oh, I want to have my lab. I'm going to apply for NIH grants. Perfect moment to look for um, the NIH uh, loan payment uh, plan. You know, like that, that's what I'm trying to say. The same thing is like, I always knew that I could not not have learners. So I, I knew I had to, I, I knew I could not do the paying two to three years thing, you know? So it's just, just, and again, if you're like, okay, I'm going to go private practice, not a problem, then just have a plan have a plan to pay in two to three years i i i vote two to three years because again i think i think the in giving that money for free to someone else just bothers me very much um yeah no thank you guys both i, I kind of uh really relate to both of those things because i um chose to stay in academia and i'm actually part of the loan forgiveness program Ooh. and um you know, I completely agree with Alice. It's really important to stay just on top of your payments. Um, and then, you know, I think things are going to head in the right direction. Um, and my mentors also told me early on about the NIH loan repayment program. Um, you know, and they're very excited to work with people who are in the in the research arena to kind of help you get this grant. So I think those are really both great opportunities to help get those loans taken care of over the years. And, just, um, I know, and I know we're talking a lot about loans, like I told you, it was good, like we have a whole hour this year. But another thing also very important to encourage people to, to talk about this when they are looking for jobs too. There's nothing wrong with asking, hey, could we include a clause that you put extra X amount of dollars to, towards my loan repayment when you're looking for jobs? I hear that some of the VAs uh, include um, loan repayment uh, for their um, hires, new hires, to incentivize people to go work for the VA. So again, it's not like, remember to ask about this also when you're looking for your first job out of fellowship or residency. Yeah, that's, that's really a great point, Alice. Thank you. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, just to switch gears here a little bit, um, let's let's move on and talk about retirement. Mm. Um, so I think the conventional kind of wisdom for retirement is, you know, really uh, try to get started early. But this can also be a little bit challenging to learn about and prioritize when you're in training. Mm -hmm. So how would you advise early career physicians and trainees to approach this issue? Um, you know, whether that be the institutional 401k or any other avenues that 
that you think would be good? That's that's a very good question. And again, I I honestly believe that the secret to having a healthy, wealthy retirement is to create the habit of saving, whatever that is. Um, if you look again, average saving that people can can live well in retirement is about 20% of what people make. Um, and uh, this comes from a study done in the 90s that show that that some very smart people looked into into if someone saved 100% stocks or 100% bonds and everything in between how much they needed to be able to live um, out of 4% of what they made. Um, so what what was noticed was that about 70% bonds, 70% stocks, 30% bonds, um, uh, re removing, being able to live with 4% of your money, you could fund your retirement for about 30 years. So that's why creating the habit of saving is what you need because of compound interest. So in training, again, um, I always recommend having your emergency fund in, in order, I would say first priority, even though I know it's not, even though I know it's not a retirement um, fund, it's an emergency fund. But remember, things can happen, right? None of us is free from having an accident. None of us is free from getting sick. None of us is free from having a spouse that gets sick, unfortunately, right? So make sure that you have enough savings that you can take right away so you don't jeopardize your family if something happens, right? Uh, your family finances if something happens. Then next thing is to start funding a retirement account. During training, again, rule of thumb, people say that it's better to fund a Roth IRA which again, you can put $6,500 um, per year into the Roth IRA. It comes after taxes, but it grows tax-free. So at the age of 60, you can start withdrawing tax-free money because you already pay taxes on it. Um, so that's also a good thing. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of programs will have 401s, 403s. And again, they are essentially the same thing. The difference is the institution if it's for-profit or non-profit. I don't know of any institution that will match contributions to trainees. Um, I know, for example, um, at Mayo, trainees don't get the match contribution. Um, attending physicians do, but trainees don't. So just look into that, because um, if you're not going to get a match, then better to fully fund your Roth IRA that will come tax-free in retirement than putting a little bit of both if you're not getting the match. If your institution matches 401s and 403 contributions to trainees, make sure that you put a little bit there too. And, uh, and personally, I think even, even $10 per paycheck is worth it to create the habit of saving. But for training purposes, again, since this is our main goal and focus, Roth IRA on your Roth IRA and your emergency fund.
Great. Um, thanks so much, Alice. So just to quickly summarize, you know, first and foremost, make sure your emergency fund is in order. Um, and as a trainee for retirement, I think the really the two main options are the Roth IRA, which grows tax free. And um, you can also look into a 401k and whether or not your institution matches the 401k. And if not, maybe consider maximizing your contributions to the Roth IRA. Great. Um, I want to, before we end, get to our um, one last topic, which was actually, I think, the first topic that you brought up um, in the sort of main things that trainees should be thinking about. And that was um, the very first thing you said was disability insurance. <laughs> um, and so I want to come back to that and talk about, um, and then you also mentioned life insurance. So let's mm -hmm. talk about insurance, because I think, again, a little bit of a black box. Um, not something I think a lot of people even think about or have on their radar. You know, people know about loans and they know about retirement, whether they're doing the right things. I think a lot of people don't even have this topic on their radar um, as trainees. And so um, let's start with disability insurance. Tell us yeah. a little bit of the why. Um, yeah. Why was that the first thing you said and why is that so important? Um, in being 100% honest, we are our best asset and we are irreplaceable at home. Uh, no institution is gonna hug us at night, but our families will. So that's why I'm so passionate about disability insurance because we study really hard to be able to do what we do. And we are our most precious asset. So disability insurance protects what we can do. Very important to do early, because most disability insurance will require one physical and one set of labs when you first sign up for it. So very important to do early in training because statistically, statistically, this is again, rule of thumb statistics. We are healthier at the beginning of training than we are at the end of training. We're also younger, right? Just like aging is something very interesting. Um, so the earlier, the better, because the likelihood that you're going to have no like write-offs, no writing or anything like that is higher. So your disability insurance is going to be cheaper. You can get really good disability insurance for about $100, $150 a month. But again, if you get disabled, it will pay 80%, up to 80% of what you make. No disability insurance can give you 100% of what you make. I need to make sure that that's, that that's said out loud and recorded. So if, you're, if your institution gives disability insurance um, to, train, to trainees, um, just make sure that as a trainee, you read the fine print. I know it's boring, but read the fine print um, to make sure if you get, for example, if they're going to pay 40%, to make sure you get your own disability insurance that will cover the other percentage that you can get up to. Very important to have own occupation clause there. What does that mean? Let's say, let's say I have an accident and I break my hand and I can no longer intubate, okay? I still can be a physician and get disability because I have own occupation for pulmonary critical care. That makes, makes sense. If you don't have that, you cannot work period. Um, so own occupation guarantees that you can still work if you want, 
just not on uh, what you were insured for. So you still collect your disability insurance and let's say I can do telehealth only. I can still do telehealth, but I collect my insurance for pulmonary and critical care. So that's very important. Own occupation, do it early when you're still healthy and young <laughs> and, um, and uh, read the fine print. And for life insurance, a lot of controversy, like I hear, I hear a lot of uh, people saying, oh, don't do whole life. Oh, don't do this. Don't do that. Um, do look at your family situation individually. For example, if you have a disabled family member, it might be smart to have whole life insurance for you. If this disabled family member depends on you only, it might be smart to do, to do whole life insurance. So again, individual situation, individual family situation, if you have a partner, spouse, make sure that they are part of all of these conversations as well. And, um, and rule of thumb, usually um, uh, twice of what you make in a year for coverage should be pretty good. Um, so as you advance your career, as you're making more money, um, increase your, your um, life insurance. And life insurance is usually very cheap. It's usually like $50 a month or something like that for a million, a million and a half. Um, when do we stop paying these things? When we consider ourselves financially independent. So paid all your student loans, paid your mortgage, paid for your cars. No one depends on you. You can stop paying those things. Until then, be insured. Got it. So just to summarize that, disability is number one. Um, really important and beneficial to do early because you do your one exam and you um, can get your rates that are locked, at the correct, that mm -hmm. therefore yeah. will benefit you in the long term. Life insurance also important. And from what I'm hearing um, you say, maybe the reason to also do that early is that it overall is relatively inexpensive. Is that mm -hmm. right? So yeah. it's, it's worth doing early for them yeah. as well. Particularly if you have young children or particularly if you have um, a spouse that is not on um, a high income um, specialty or, or even profession, you know, very important to have them taken care of. And, um, and again, look at the look at the insurance that is best for your family in terms of life and um and and until you're financially independent just just pay it's not it's peace of mind is priceless so I have one other follow-up that about this but really pertains to everything you've said which is um do you have any recommendations for resources where people should look to get good information because as you're talking and I'm, I'm thinking that one of the reasons this is so helpful is you're distilling down, right? A lot of information. If one tried to Google search these topics, there's so much out there. That's the problem. Yeah. It's how do you ultimately interpret it and distill it down to some clear frameworks and guidance for yourself. Yeah. And that's what's so valuable about what you're doing. But if folks are listening to this and want to learn more about one of these things, it's, we're very limited on time here, obviously, yeah. in terms so. of the detail you can go into. Do you have any recommendations? I do. Uh, and again, I want to make sure I say it out loud. I make no money out of this people. I, they, don't find, they don't fund me for anything. I just really learned a lot from them. 
I know, I know the white quote investor is very controversial, but he's very good at teaching and distilling information. His podcast is excellent and his books are excellent too. I really like the podcast from Mr. Money Mustache. He's, he's not, um, he's not particularly physician, um, oriented, but, um, he's awesome. Um, there is, uh, this retired anesthesiologist who also has a podcast that is fire, um, financial independence, retire early. And, um, and there are a lot of really, really, really good books. Um, so again, the white coal investor ones I already said, I like books. Uh, so again, I, that's why I'm saying books. Um, but the ones, the ones that I, that I really like is, um, the intelligent investor. Uh, there is a classic that is, I think it's worth reading because it's very eye-opening, which is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, what's the name of the other one that I like? I would say those are the ones, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm blanking on one that I like, um, which is about uh, Wall Street. Oh, uh, what to do your, with your money when crisis hits. I like that one. Survival guide. <laughs> um, but if people start like going into one of these books, then they will, then they will find something else. And then if you listen to one podcast, you find another one. But again, I, I find the white coat investor a very good place to start because he's a, he is a, to give him credit where credit's due. He's a very good teacher. All right. Though those are some great recommendations. I, I know I'll personally look into some of those. So so thank you, Alice. Um well this has really been a uh great introduction to financial planning um for trainees and early career faculty. But before we conclude, do you have any um quick final pieces of advice for early career professionals? And is there anything else we didn't ask that you would like to share? Uh, can I, can I do two advice? Can I do two pieces of advice? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, create the habit of saving is one. Again, I'm not, I'm, I will never tell you save more than, um, what will allow you to be happy. Create the habit of saving. Pretend if 10% is what you can save, pretend you make 90% of what you make to make it easy. And I'm going to say this again. I cannot emphasize the importance of disability insurance because we are, I'm going to say this again. You are your most valuable asset. You are irreplaceable at home. So make sure that, that you take care of that. And um, and the uh, other piece of advice is reach out reach out if you want to talk more about it. I am on Twitter at Galo de Moraes MD. I'm also on Instagram at Galo de Moraes MD. I absolutely love talking about this. And if I said something incorrectly, please give me feedback. Um, I did study, again, everything uh, for today's podcast. But again, these things also changed really quickly. <laughs> um, so um, those are the things I would say. Uh, reach out. I love talking about this. And I think it's very important. Um, you're very valuable, all of you. You do a hard job. You take good care of people. Um, take care of yourself, too. Well, thank you so much, Alice. I would just add in our sort of thanks to you, I think, one of the reasons perhaps that it takes a while for people in our profession to start learning um, about this uh, and involving themselves is 
there's perhaps a sense that um, early on we chose this profession because we weren't necessarily primarily interested in finances, right? It's not a profession that intersects directly with the financial world, unlike many other professions. And I think um, I love that you clearly demonstrate the passion that you have for what you do and that learning these skills is so important to allow us to do the work we want to do. Yeah. You want to have you want to have longevity. You want you want to do this forever, not because you have to, because you still love it, because it's still your calling, like it was when you signed up for medical school. You know, absolutely. Well, thank you again for what's been an extremely informative session, and I think will be a great resource um, for trainees and junior faculty as part of this career development for training series available um, on the ATS website. Thank you so So much for having me. This was a blast. Wonderful. This episode was brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, rate, review, or subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcast. Thanks for listening.